Before we get into today's episode, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know by now, we're here to tell you that hockey has returned to ESPN. The NHL season has started back up, and that means you can stream your team's games on ESPN+. Plus, From the Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning to the brand new Seattle Kraken. Subscribe to ESPN Plus so you don't miss a goal. Also, get the inside scoop on the biggest NBA news and hear from the stars on and off the court on The Woj Pod. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. In the Crease is presented by ADT. Brilliantly safe. The ESPN NHL podcast with Linda Cohn and Emily Kaplan. Emily Kaplan, Linda Cohn, welcome to the In the Crease podcast. And Linda, if you remember yes. correctly, last time we were on on Monday, I set myself a homework assignment. What was it? Uh, uh, John Tortorella and his uh, outspoken nature. But then again, Emily, here's the deal. He gets paid to be outspoken. And he was talking about the best player in the NHL, none other than Connor McDavid. Right. He made those comments on The Point, our show, saying that he believed Connor McDavid needed to change his game a bit to win in the playoffs and win the Stanley Cup. And Linda, you're allowed to have an opinion in the NBA. You're allowed to have an opinion in the NFL. We can remember it's inherently in a game. But in the NHL, if you have too strong of an opinion, you get ostracized. So I asked Torts, I said, Torts, the second I saw him, what's the last week been like? How'd everyone take your comments on TV? He had no idea they were going to blow up the way he did. He said his phone has been nonstop from people. Um, he's just like, it's crazy. I just said something that I believed in. Um, and I, I almost feel bad for him because, again, I feel like sometimes the public persona of Torts and who Torts really is are very different. And I love that he's showing his opinions on TV because I think that's what grows the game to have these type of conversations that are engaging. But off the ice, people just don't realize how beloved he is. Every single time I'm on that show with him, I get messages from like yesterday, for example, a wife on the Columbus Blue Jackets, all oh, love towards heart. Aaron Voros, the former player on the Rangers, who Torres later told me was like the biggest class clown in that locker room, was like, tell Torres I said hi. Tell Hank I said hi. And then sends me a video of him and Henrik Lundqvist walking down the street because apparently they still hang out. Point being, Torres is a beloved man in our game. He said something that was controversial to some, but I think it's a good thing. And he's still cleaning up the mess because uh, it got everybody up in arms. Yeah, but what did he say to the with the pushback? That's what I want to know. Did he back off his thing? He defended himself. Okay. No, that's what we love about Torts is that he had an opinion and he offered more context. He's like, look, I've just seen so many players over the years, Stevie Y, Alex Ovechkin. They've all had to adapt their game to get the ultimate goal, the Stanley Cup. And that's where I think Connor McDavid is at. Well, right now, I'll tell you, he's looking like a genius. And I'm I'm all aboard John Tortorella. Covered him when he was the head coach of the Rangers. Not surprised about his lasting impact with players, coaches, people he's worked with, people in the hockey community. We love him because he's different. To your earlier point, Emily, what's interesting about what is wrong? He's giving an opinion. Why is it the NHL have a problem with him giving an opinion? Uh, unless you're laughing off a strong opinion in that studio show, then people raise their eyebrows. Because that's the thing. We've seen strong and heard strong opinions in this league, the National Hockey League, but then there's like, ha 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 ha, you don't really mean that, ha ha ha, you know, and then it goes away, right? But nobody was laughing to everyone's credit on the point. They took what John Tortorella said very seriously, uh, as they should. So um, the Edmonton Oilers right now, except for Leon Dreisaitl, who continues to lead the league in scoring, uh, last I looked, he had 17 goals. 
um, they, they've hit a little bit of bump in the road. They're, they look tired. Um, I hate using that word, but I'm going to use it describing the Oilers. That could change tonight when they once again take on their nemesis, which is the Winnipeg Jets. Paul Maurice has the Oilers number. Um, there's just something about Winnipeg that Edmonton cannot handle. And it's a great litmus test here early in the regular season, Emily. This is what concerns me. Everyone wants to get excited about the Edmonton Oilers, including me. I think it'd be fabulous to get uh, Connor McDavid in the playoffs, winning a playoff series or two or three and get to a Stanley Cup final. It will only be great for the National Hockey League, especially in this first year back with ESPN. No question about that. But something's not right right now. And I hope they fix it. But that's one of the I know we'll get into our game of the week, but that is one of the games I'm looking forward to seeing tonight because it could be an you know, down the road, Winnipeg against Edmonton somewhere, because I really do believe in the Jets now. They lead the Central Division, and the Ducks have overtaken the Edmonton Oilers in the Pacific. And speaking of games... <laughs> Things you thought you would never say. Right, and that's the thing. And as long as I brought up the Ducks, because I like to do that, you know, I live very close to them, and I've always... I love what they're doing. They go for nine straight wins tonight, so I'm just going to fast forward to our game of the week, because it's on my mind, and I want to pump up the Ducks. Yet again, with Ryan Getzlaff, since we last chatted, he notched his 1,000th point, uh, the 45th player in NHL history to do that with one franchise, to get all 1,000 points with one team. That's the ultimate captain, the future Hall of Famer in Getze. He did that. They've won eight in a row. They're looking for nine in a, in a row. But the problem is they have to play the Carolina Hurricanes who come to the Honda Center tonight. But that's another litmus test, right, Emily? I mean, you know, they're not going to put a lot of weight on the fact, oh, it's a November game, Linda, if we lose. I know what the coach is going to say. I know what our buddy Dallas Aiken is going to say. Let's go out and do our best, blah, 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 whatever. Confidence is a choice. You know how we both love Dallas. But if they lose this game, it's not the end of the world. Not at all, because you're losing to a Carolina Hurricanes team who's getting great goaltending right now. And and is just really well doing well on all phases of the game, like Emily, like we expected the Canes would do. You know, everyone says it's an 82 game season. You've got to take every game seriously. But even in November, even before American Thanksgiving, which is most front offices litmus test for are we going to be a playoff team or not? There are big games. And this has a big game feel to me, in my opinion, because these are two teams that have gone off to a great start. And like you said, the Ducks are kind of needing to legitimize themselves. Are we actually for real or do we pile up a lot of these wins against the Pacific Division? And the Carolina Hurricanes, like they've got a tough opponent and they look great. I have to say the thing about the Carolina Hurricanes that excites me the most, and it's Freddie Anderson for sure, because that's one of yes. my favorite stories this year. And yes. he is probably, I feel comfortable saying the Vezina front runner at this point. Yes, absolutely. Is who I would be voting for. And we knew that they had incredible forward depth and such talented forwards, but some of their defensemen stepping up, like without Dougie Hamilton that I love, Seth Jarvis is a guy. I didn't think was going to make the team this year. The team I don't think thought was going to make the team this year. He thought like, he was mentioned when they were sniffing around on Jack Eichel. They were like, Hey, Buffalo was like, Hey, we want Seth Jarvis. And the Carolina hurricanes are like, we will not do any deal that involves Seth Jarvis. He's that important to us. And he's looked great. Speaking of the back line, can we talk about the former pariah who I've always loved Tony D'Angelo talk about a contribution being made to the Carolina hurricanes. You know, he's the best bargain in hockey right now. He's contributing offensively, defensively. He's just being a team player 
He's been awesome. We all knew. Hey, listen, we know we're Ranger fans, right? He, we all knew this guy had talent, right? It was the off the ice stuff. Well, kudos to Carolina and kudos to Tony D'Angelo to focusing on the game, getting his you know life on track here and realizing what he gets paid for. And that's helping a hockey team win. And he's been awesome for Carolina this year. I give so much credit to Rod Brindamore because I feel like there are certain teams in the league that just take the identity of their coach and no more so than the Carolina Hurricanes. Like Rod Brindamore is intense. He demands a tireless work ethic from his players and he demands buy-in and he walks the walk. I mean, he's in the weight room more than any of the guys on the team are. He does the fitness test in the beginning of the year just for fun and finishes better than half of the roster, like 18 to 19 year olds. And so when you have that culture, when you bring in Tony D'Angelo, who literally got kicked off of the Rangers for behavioral problems, and you're like, oh, where's this guy's career going to go? If you put him in the right system, he can thrive. And to me, it seems like he's in the right system. Okay. We started this conversation talking about how Connor McDavid might or might not need to evolve his game to reach the ultimate goal, the Stanley Cup. And the guy that Torch said did that was Alex Ovechkin. And Linda, we just haven't given enough love to the Washington Capitals yet. I want to give a little love first to Alex Ovechkin because I know he's been a little dry on the production the last couple of games, but overall to begin this season, he's been a monster. He's scoring the goals like we know he can um, at a very high pace. He is being physical. He can absorb hits. He can give hits. He, he just looks really engaged out there. But something else I've noticed different in his game, Linda, this year is that he's dishing out a lot of assists. And like, that's not something we're used to seeing from Ovechkin. He has his highest assist rate. Um, per his entire career right now. And you kind of just love to see it because we know as the Washington Capitals go, so do Ovi. It's great that some of these young guys are, are stepping up, especially because they've had so many big absences with health. And, um, you know, some of their big guns are not there like Nick Backstrom, like TJ Oshie, like Nick Dowd even is a good role player. Um, but Ovi's leading the way and the kids are matching him. Fabulous point by you, Emily, about Alex Ovechkin. How when he doesn't see a shot, guess what he does? He doesn't force anything. Yeah. That's the maturation. And you can still mature as a hockey player at Alex Ovechkin's age, because that's what we're seeing now by Ovi. So when he doesn't have a clear shot, when he thinks it's not a good idea to, you know, let fire a one timer, he's passing the puck off. He, you know, yeah, he wants to catch Gretzky, but you know what he wants more to win another Stanley Cup. There is no question about it. And he knows he can't do that alone. And that's getting back to your torts thing. Alex Ovechkin realized that, and then then he won a Stanley Cup in 2018 because it takes a whole team to win a cup, and that's how he adjusted. Well, he's getting that now again. Interesting. The Capitals, what I loved about their win last night about the Kings, their patience, they knew somebody was going to come through. They got great goaltending from Sam Sonoff, who has heard the whispers, Emily, uh, he said this was his biggest game of the season, even though this was his second shutout. I told you you can have big games early. Yeah, well, this was. And, you know, these players know it, especially when you're the goaltender and you're hearing the whispers of others coming up the ranks. And so the other thing is, this was their fifth game in the last seven days, okay, wow. for the Washington Capitals. And the Kings had that big break, right? For them to Kings have... played a couple days. Right, but for them to have, to finish my point, have the energy late against the home team, which is the Kings, where they would have had a built-in excuse. Oh, this was our fifth game in seven days, blah, blah, blah. We'll give them a pass. And the Kings were rested. Kings were rested and all of that. The other thing is they just have one power play goal in their last five games. Let me repeat that. The Washington Capitals have just one power play goal in their last wow. five games. 
What does that tell you about this team and how well-rounded it is? We always used to thought, oh, like it was like how the Oilers, don't put the Oilers on the power play this year. We always were like, don't put the Caps on the power play because that's how they win. So it's truly amazing. Yeah, they miss Oshie. They miss Backstrom. A lot has to do with no, those two guys not there and the other forwards, why their power play has not um, done well in the past five games. But finding other ways to win and other guys are putting the puck in the net and they're getting the goaltending. And right now they're sitting in a good spot um, uh, in the Metro division. And they're battling with Carolina for, uh, you know, the top spot. So the Metropolitan division is such a fun division to watch. But I mean, you know, you know me, Emily, I can't always talk about great things. I mean, there's a team in the Metropolitan division that is, let's face it, disappointing. And I know they have some built-in excuses and I'm talking about the Penguins and they got, they made news off the ice as well. We'll get to their on ice, but I know you wanted to talk about some stuff off the ice regarding you got, you know, you, do you have some $900 million you can borrow because maybe me and you, we can, you know, pull this off and buy the Penguins. I hate to break it to you, Linda. I don't, I, I think it's a done deal. Yeah. I think they found other people who have a little deeper pockets than us. Um, but it's interesting because the NHL has been adamant throughout the entire pandemic. None of our franchises are unstable. Nobody's at risk of being sold. And then all of a sudden we got a bombshell this week that the Penguins are very close to being sold. And the context here is Ron Burkle and Mario Lemieux bought the team in 1999. They starved them off from bankruptcy. They were potentially going to be relocated. They got them a new arena. They are the heroes that the Penguins needed. They go and win two more cups, three more cups. Um, and it's great. But there have been some trouble with these two, um, you know, specifically with Burkle, you know, knowing his commitment to the team. And in 2015, they even explored, they hired, I believe, Morgan Stanley to look at some options that they wanted to sell. The rumor around the NHL at the time was they were going to sell it, but they couldn't get an offer for more than 750 million. And the NHL said, no, you're not selling one of our franchises for less than that. That's been unconfirmed, but that's like the scuttlebutt around the league. So they kept on to it a couple more years, but there's always been people sniffing around. And then Fenway Sports Group, whose portfolio includes the Boston Red Sox, Liverpool, LeBron James is an investor. So yes, you're hearing that correctly. LeBron James is in on the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, came in and said, we want to buy you guys. We have had interest in the NBA and the NHL for some time, specifically the NHL in this case. Uh, we, we see some value here. And they're in advanced talks and they're going to do it. You mentioned 900 million. That's the speculation for everyone. Everyone thinks that they're going to get there. Sportico, when they did their valuations, listed the Penguins at 845 million. It's probably right around the middle of the league. Um, it's a small market, but obviously a lot of on ice success and tradition. Um, the important things I think people should know, though one, Mario Lemieux is still going to be involved as a minority owner. I see this as like an olive branch, like, okay, we're the group coming in from Boston and we're buying the Pittsburgh Penguins, but don't worry. Mario is still here all as well. Like you've got your guy um, and two relocation. Firstly, they're on a very long lease at that arena. I believe it's another 20 years. Um, the other aspect is when a new ownership group comes into the NHL, the NHL typically works in a standard agreement that says you can apply for relocation for at least seven years. So I don't think the Penguins are leaving uh, Pittsburgh anytime soon. And in fact, I do think this is a good thing because Fenway Sports Group um, has a lot of clout. They seem to be very stable and it's good to get that type of ownership money and honestly, just outside perspective into the NHL. 
Uh, they're not going anywhere, the Pittsburgh Penguins. That fan base doesn't like change, and they feel they have the power no matter what. And I'll tell you an example, and that is a good idea. That's a great olive branch to just keep Mario Lemieux in the mix. Well, I think and he I, wants to, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, and a lot of people thought, why? It, there was a part when this first broke, if you recall, the chatter was about, hey, I could see Mario just selling the team and enjoying the later years of his life. Not that he's old. But the point is of that kind of uh, that weight, that responsibility. I mean, under his watch as an owner, three Stanley Cups in the last 15 years. Not bad. Not a bad thing to walk away from. So, again, hockey's in your blood. That's Mario Lemieux. He's not going anywhere. That's good. But about the Penguins not wanting change. I remember on Twitter, I was having some fun just responding to a tweet. And this was before Sidney Crosby is in the slump. And you know how much I love Sidney Crosby. I mean, I have a video. You know those like. You know, back in the day when you had put pictures in frames, well, now they have these, uh, maybe I'm a little late to the party, but they have these, like, you take all your camera shots that you love, you know, it's a video thing and all the pictures revolve and you could see different pictures you've taken through your years. Do you know what hockey player I have multiple times? Me with Sidney Crosby in it. Okay. Hmm. Yes. I love the guy. I, I absolutely adore him. He's frustrated right now. But anyway, before this bad span of time, with you know, he's had everything happen to him this year, injury, COVID, the whole thing. But I said I responded to a tweet, Emily, and I basically said, hmm, I wonder if Sidney Crosby would ever think about joining his buddy, Nathan McKinnon, with a Colorado Avalanche and go win another Stanley Cup and help his buddy, Nathan McKinnon, win his first Stanley Cup. Hmm. You should have read the pushback I got from <laughs> Penguins fans. That'll never happen. He's never leaving. I know he's never leaving. I know. But when this news came out about Mario Lemieux selling and thinking about selling the Penguins, hey, guess what happened? All these so-called talking heads and experts were like, hey, I wonder if Sidney Crosby would leave the Penguins. So you know what? I was onto something there. Okay. He's not going to leave. He's loyal to the franchise, to the sweater, to everything about the Penguins. I'd be stunned if he left, but it was worth throwing out there for goodness sake. He is the biggest competitor. He wants to win again. And if this team is rebuilding and when we look, they're a disappointment right now. And again, they've had adversity, Emily, but they're a severe disappointment. I don't know if they can make that climb. We talked about this before the season began. We talked about the Capitals and the Penguins that one of them probably are not going to make the playoffs, if not both, maybe missing the postseason. It's early, but right now the Penguins, they're really, they're like, where are they? They're, they're, I'll tell you exactly where they are as we speak. They're seventh in the Metro. They're under 500. They're five, six, and four. They got some issues and it's not just the goaltending, which I thought was going to be the big issue. There were other issues there. So we'll see if they can climb out. Linda, those are all great points. And you said it's not just goaltending. It's not just injuries, even though they have been decimated and especially with COVID protocol, there's just something amiss. And, you know, the interesting thing is if the sale goes through and it does sound like it will, how does that change the trajectory of the team? Because we know Ron Hextall and Brian Burke are running it now and they already had tough decisions to make. Sydney's under contract for a couple more years, but you've got Gino and Latang coming up. And I'm curious to see how much ownership, um, you know, what their point of view is to management. You know, is it really important to have familiar name players, even if they are on the back nine of their career? Do we need to just fully embrace a rebuild? So these will all be fascinating conversations. Another fascinating conversation, Linda, is the Vancouver Canucks, because Ugh. we talked about them last episode. They don't look good. I think the biggest issue is, You've got all these young players and they're all exciting young players. And specifically one, Elias Pettersson, just doesn't look like the stud he should. Something is amiss with him. You know, the big issue with the 
Canucks to me is roster construction. We kind of knew going into the year, oh, defense might be kind of shady. Oh, they've got some really bad contracts. And what I wonder about them is they thought about getting rid of Jim Benning this summer. I know they were talking to some people, including Jeff Gorton, and then thinking about making a change. And then they decided not to. You keep Jim Benning around and then you let him make franchise altering moves, like bringing in Oliver Ekman Larson and a very expensive long contract. And then if you decide, oh, no, Benning's not our guy, well, you just let him make more damage to your salary cap. So I think they're in a really difficult position right now. Um, it does seem like Oliver Ekman Larson's contract will outlast Jim Benning, but their owner did meet with the GM this week um, just to kind of suss out why they've been so bad. No immediate changes, um, but we'll see because they've been one of the biggest disappointments so far. Uh, you started that conversation about the Canucks with Elias Pettersson and the problem with Pettersson, he's lost his confidence. Uh, he's mm-hmm. not the same player. He doesn't go to the net. He doesn't even hang out in the slot where he got most of his goals and opportunities and why he's highly paid. We're talking about a player that so far, remember, he missed training camp. I mean, he wasn't holding out. There were negotiations going on. He got a new deal, got paid a lot of money. Same with Quinn Hughes. I'm not going to kill Quinn Hughes as much but he was very undisciplined in their latest loss last night when he took a stupid penalty, a cross-checking penalty in a tight game. Canucks, I didn't question their effort and their loss, their loss to the Colorado Avalanche at home after a disastrous road trip. The fans showed up. They wanted to cheer the home team. They wanted to get them going. The Canucks gave effort, did a great job, but they let the lack of discipline hurt. So your two biggest players, the two highly paid players, right? Got all the headlines, Quinn Hughes, Elias Patterson. You know, different reasons. And I'm not going to kill Quinn Hughes because he's not like having a confidence lapse that Pedersen has, but lack of discipline. And when, when I see lack of discipline on this team, and wait, before I get into lack of discipline, which is Travis Green's problem, the head coach, even though the players say all the right things. And yes, it was important that I saw effort last night because it seemed like they were playing for their head coach or playing to get a W, whatever the reason. But their penalty kill is a disaster. I got to throw out a number. They have allowed 19 power play goals in the last 10 games. They helped the Avalanche gain confidence last night. The Avs had three power play goals against them last night. When you allow 19 power play goals in the last 10 games, when you have losses overall in nine of your last 11 games, you are in big trouble. And this is, we're talking about, you're in the Pacific Division. I mean, come on. You're in the Pacific Division. You're seventh in the Pacific. Only the Seattle Kraken, which I'm going to get to in a moment. I'm very disappointed in what's going on there. So the Canucks are 5, 10, and 2. So something's got to give, Emily. You know, we've all been in this spot. You've got to make some kind of change. You sign your good players to long-term deals. It's not happening right now. I can't kill Thatcher Demko. He's getting no help there. So maybe something will be done. Something has to be done. Hey, it happens a lot. It may not be the head coach's fault, okay? The players may be playing hard for Travis Green in this in this situation. It may not matter. You know, you look already at the Chicago Blackhawks and they made a coaching change. Stan Bowman was never going to fire Jeremy Colleton, but Stan Goins out, Kyle Davidson in. He's like, look, the players just, it's not working for us. They bring in Derek King. They've now won four straight. Derek King gave everybody a clean slate. Dylan Strom, who was ostracized by the previous regime, is in there now getting back into the mix. They've kind of abandoned this defensive scheme that wasn't fitting their personnel. Um, and they got a little confidence. Not saying it always works, 
but sometimes you just need a fresh perspective. I don't know if that's the issue, if it's a Travis Green and players thing. To me, it's more roster construction, um, but you're right that something needs to budge because they just don't look like a playoff team. And you know what? This league is very reactive, right? Oh, is it ever? You can't tell me that the Canucks and the decision makers there aren't looking at the Chicago Blackhawks, who had more uh, baggage on and off the ice, well-documented to deal with and made a change behind the bench. And you're right, they're 4-0 under Derek King there. Blackhawks are looking like carefree. And last night's win, okay, against Alex Seattle. Brinkett, Gordie Howe hat trick. Right. And by the way, we should bring him back because we talked to him during Chicago media days back in September. Am I correct? Didn't we talk to Alex Debrinket? We did talk to the cat. That's right. We talked to him. Um, we'll do that. And maybe we'll do that sooner than later. But Marc-Andre Fleury finally had his best game in a Chicago Blackhawks uniform. He was the flower that we all knew. Pulling, you know, his, he was so athletic. He kept them in the game during the second period. He made big saves in the third period. Um, I mean, it was great to see because in our past episodes, we both were convinced that Marc-Andre Fleury may not finish the season in Chicago. We just felt, if you remember, Emily, we were like really down on it. He just didn't look comfortable playing for this team. He didn't find his legs. He didn't find his game. I know it's just one game, but that was the best game I've seen by Marc-Andre Fleury since he was wearing a Vegas Golden Knight uniform. So um, I hope, I think it's a good thing folks, original six, Chicago Blackhawks to find their legs, especially I want them to make me look good because I picked them to go to the playoffs before the season began. I want them to make the playoffs because ever since I've covered the league, they haven't. And it would be so nice to cover some playoff series in my own bed. That said, I'm not as convinced with you that Marc-Andre Fleury isn't finishing the season in another uniform. Um, I think that big picture, they've got to embark on this rebuild and they need to recoup some draft picks. And it's great that Marc-Andre Fleury looks like himself again. And especially if he finds his confidence in his form, he can go to another contender and maybe get that chance to win another Stanley Cup ring. Okay, Linda, anything we want to wrap it up with? I want to talk about the Islanders. Uh, Big night Saturday, uh, opening up the UBS arena. Islanders are coming off the road trip from hell. And you can go two different ways on this. Well, I call it the road trip from hell. Nobody, nobody should have to start a season with 13 games on the road. But I get it. The UBS arena was not ready. The Islanders had to start with 13 games on the road. And I know there are people out there, Linda, they slept in their own beds when they were playing in Jersey and the Rangers look. I don't care. It's still a road game. All right. Don't give me that. But right now, as they begin their new venture in the UBS arena on Saturday night against Calgary, not an easy opponent. Oh, by the way, to open up your new building, the Islanders are eighth in the Metropolitan Division, Emily, five, six and two. But if you would have told anybody before that 13 game road trip to start a season that they would be five, six and two, they'd be like, I'll take that. Yeah, I know. I get it. They'll take that. I understand. You treaded water. That's all you had to do. But you got a lot of teams to climb now. And who says, just like that, turn on a switch. The UBS arena is going to be like the Nassau Coliseum. Like instant excitement, loud, fans going nuts. We don't know what it's going to sound like in there. So I'm really looking forward to Saturday's game for many reasons. But here's the thing. Islander fans, listen up, especially you. Give your team a break. It's not going to happen instantly. The good news is, as we look at the rest of their season, especially the end of it, most of their games will be at home. So you got to hope that by then, 
the Islanders, who some players actually said this week, I got to get directions to the players' entrance of this new building. They have no idea how to get there. They have no idea where they go in. I mean, hopefully a map, the Google Maps work for how do I get to the players' locker room in my home arena? They've been such a nomadic team the last three years, just even splitting between Brooklyn and Long Island. Like that was tough too. Like they've just been through so much the last couple of years that you're right. It's probably going to be a shaky transition, but yes, will figure it out. I, do you know the thing about the Islanders though? They're like one of the streakiest teams in the league. Like when they're on, they can be on and they can be hot. And I feel like you're right. Maybe it doesn't start with that first game at UBS, maybe not the second or third, but I can see them going on like a nine, 10 game winning streak or point streak at some point this season and catch up with the New York Rangers, the New York team that looks a lot better than them right now. Yeah, no, I, I as well do think that I think, cause again, I want them to make me look good. I picked the Islanders to win the Eastern conference, not only the Metro, I picked them to win the entire conference and have the most points. So they, they are going to figure it out for sure. You know, as for the Rangers, I think I touched on it last time. Uh, you know, this is all about Igor Shesterkin. Right? Oh my the gosh. The greatness of Igor Shesterkin making the timely saves when it mattered most, giving the opportunities for uh, elite players like Artemi Panarin and Adam Fox to do their thing and be creators. Uh, so we'll see. Are the Rangers sustainable? Yeah, my heart wants to say yes. I hope so. I thought they're going to make the playoffs this year. But I think the only, you know, when you talked about Freddie Anderson, well, I wouldn't be surprised by the end of the year, uh, Igor Shesterkin is a Vezina Trophy finalist. He's having a star turn. This feels like his moment and he's just so good. If you haven't watched one of his games, just lock into him and see the way that he just, he's so unique to me. And like, I'm not a goaltender person. You are. So, you know, the technique and there's just something about the way he reacts to shooters that it just feels special. And he's just got that it factor. I I like to call it calmness, right? He's Mm. calm in the net. He's not like all over the place. Uh, And he doesn't let up bad goals. That's the thing. Like Robin Leonard, I love him, and he's he's great goaltender, but he's all over the place when he's in the crease. And you're right, like Shesterkin is very still. centered. Yeah, yeah, very still. And, and you know, you mentioned Leonard, Marc-Andre Fleury, also all over the place, right? You know, they make great highlight reel saves, those kind of guys. But, you know, Shesterkin just goes out there, does his job. It's a young guy, cool cat. Remember, he got all that experience over in Russia. I mean, he's just, uh, he's the real deal. So we'll see. But um, no one should worry about the Islanders. They're going to find their footing. It just might not happen instantly in their new UBS arena, which opens Saturday night when they welcome the Calgary Flames. All right, Linda. Well, what will you be doing until Saturday night or maybe the beginning of next week, too, before our next podcast? Emily, you can always find me in the crease, not only on this podcast called in the crease, but in the crease. Our fantastic nightly. You have more stillness than Igor Shostakovich. You're just there. Thank you. Thank you. I am the stable force in the crease in all ways on TV, ESPN Plus. Yes, that's where you can find the best hockey highlight show nightly. When the games end, turn to ESPN Plus if you're not tuned into it already and find me hosting in the crease. All right. Our ESPN Plus game on Friday night is, is it the Kraken Avs? Is that right? It is right. And Kraken are an issue to me. I picked them to go to the playoffs before the season began. I don't know. I got caught up in the whole expansion thing and all of the hoopla. And they're still trying to find their game. We touched on it last episode. I'm going to bring it up again. Uh, Philip Grubauer continues to prove me right. He only had 15 saves last night. He just isn't making the big stops. He hasn't come as advertised. He hasn't delivered as advertised. I know they have more issues 
Uh, there are problems. It's not like they're not trying. I've never been a fan of Dave Haxtell. And you got to wonder who's going to be fired first. And I'm serious. Uh, at this point, I mean, it, it, how much can oh, he's Ron not Francis fired this year? Come on. I mean, that's a disaster. I can say that pretty confidently. Why is it when I look at him and I know he's a nice man, I get it. This is not personal. But what is it when I look at him? And he probably, yes. Okay, Emily, you have the sources. He's not getting fired this year. That would be an embarrassment. Why wouldn't he get fired? Not because he doesn't deserve to get fired, because he looks lost. The players look lost. They're like skating around. They're off to bad starts each and every game. See, that's a big factor to me. That's when I look about, is my team prepared? When you get off to bad starts, the Kraken last night woke up too late. I mean, they decided to score in the third period, late in the third period. You can't get behind 3 nothing to any team. So they just don't seem to be prepared to play. Maybe it's a new system. Hey, it's a new team with a new system, with a new coach. Everything's new. But, yeah, uh, I'll tell you this. Okay, he won't be replaced this season. I get it. I think you should look into other coaches in the offseason, Ron Francis. I love Linda's strong opinion here. She's about to get ostracized by the entire hockey community like Torts. <laughs> All right. Well, you gave us a lot of reasons not to like the Kraken, but I think it's going to be a good game. And another reason to watch is I'll probably be doing intermission reports, uh, maybe some news and nuggets on Friday night. And then, yeah, going into the weekend, I'm going back home to Jersey to spend a couple of days with my family before Thanksgiving, before I have to return to Chicago where my family is not weird, but I am going to spend some time with Jack Hughes for a story on Sunday. So I'm excited about that. And hopefully there will be some stories there. Yes. Well, we've already talked about how the devils are doing, how well and they're fun to watch and they're doing it without Jack Hughes. So yes. And you know how I love food. So I want to hear what you guys order. Oh, uh, when you well, I, <laughs> the options where Jack was going to cook breakfast or we were going to go get bagel sandwiches. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm sure he's a great cook, but we're getting bagel sandwiches. Oh my um, God. Are you kidding? I would have loved to have Jack Hughes cook me breakfast. It's on the come to LA. You can cook. I'd rather breakfast. have, I'd rather have a bacon, egg and cheese.